DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time to welcome in Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. Luke, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. So as the countdown clock ticks down, we get closer to the draft. You ready to get on with this already? Man, this thing has been analyzed and hyped. And we know where the top picks are headed, at least the top two. People might be able to think they can guess the top three. The Niners are trying to play the cards close to the vest. But set aside the picks. Who do you have the most confidence when we look back at this draft, you get five or six years down the line, who do you have the most confidence in actually delivering on the potential that's promised by one of these uh, first few picks? Uh, You know, so much of that comes down to where they go, I I think. So on the front end, it's a little difficult to say anybody other than Trevor Lawrence, right? Because, you know, we know he's going number one. We know that, honestly, that the Jaguars don't have a, a really bad roster in terms of teams that you're used to seeing picking number one. Obviously, they haven't had a whole lot of team success uh, since losing that AFC title game, but this roster is really not, not that bad. So I think that the fact that the Jags are going to take him at one, they've got an additional first-round pick, they've got multiple second-round picks, they've got a chance to, to really build around Trevor Lawrence very quickly and be successful. So, I mean, you know, that's the easy answer because we actually know where he's going to end up. But I think if I were to, to, to bank on a player, no matter where he lands, I still don't understand the, the, the idea that Justin Fields is going to fall out of the top five, maybe even out of the top ten. That's preposterous to me in terms of my evaluation of him as a player. Um, obviously, Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two. I would take Justin Fields at number two with that without question. Um, so I, I think whoever ends up with Justin Fields, whether it's a team trading up to get him, New England from 15 maybe, maybe they jump up uh, ahead of Denver and Carolina at, at number seven with Detroit. But I think whatever team is lucky enough to land Justin Fields outside the top five, uh, if that happens to uh, to take place, I think that's what we'll look back on. Similar to the fact that you know when, when the Bears traded up for Trubisky and left Watson and Mahomes on the board, I think it'll be that similar kind of move, especially if we see Mac Jones go ahead of Justin Fields. So obviously then you're at odds with what the Jets are expected to do in that you believe that Fields is going to be better than Wilson. Why is that? I see a guy who is way more consistent on film. Uh, I think I see a guy who is bigger, more physical in the pocket and, and can, can handle um, you know, the, the, the rigors of an NFL game and the handling a pass rush. Obviously, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons Sam Darnold didn't succeed in, in New York was, you know, his supporting cast wasn't that great, and particularly along the offensive line. So with a guy like Zach Wilson, if you're putting him behind that same offensive line, I don't know how well that's going to go. And I think when you compare the, the, the highs on, on Zach Wilson's film are great. If you make a highlight reel of Zach Wilson, he looks like a potential number two overall pick. But if you make a low-light film, you'll wonder why he's being drafted at all. So I think that's where it comes into with me. The, the consistency is just not there. Obviously, the flashes are incredible, and I blame Patrick Mahomes. You know, you, get, you have a guy like Wilson who can make some of those Mahomes-like throws, especially when he escapes the pocket and he can sling the ball, change arm angles and do all these fun things, and that's exciting. But Mahomes is great because he also takes the layups. He can hit the layups. He can be consistent with his accuracy. And I feel like Zach Wilson just didn't do that enough for me on film. And again, usually his team was the best team on the field, if not always last year. And the fact that he was still inconsistent and not able to be dominant on a consistent level against lower-level competition, that gives me concerns. And you contrast that with what Justin Fields was able to do against some of the top competition, particularly that performance against Clemson while playing injured. I just don't understand why that's a conversation. So if you're one of the quarterbacks the Jets pass on, should you be happy about that because they don't have enough around you to make anybody successful, no matter who they pick? Or do you think with a new coaching staff, new regime, uh, the talent's going to get upgraded and whoever it is, probably Zach Wilson, but whoever it is is going to be dealt a better hand than Sam Darnold was? Yeah, I do think there is some some hope to be had there. I don't know if I would call it confidence because we haven't seen that team on the field yet, but I think they made a great hire with with Robert Sala. I think that, you know, Joe Douglas probably can't do any worse than than the management that's been uh, in charge in New York for the last few regimes. Um, 
But, yeah, I think if – and even if you look at the way they attack free agency, they signed some really quality players, particularly on defense, um, to, to really help that side of the ball. So I do think that there's some hope there that the Jets have kind of turned a corner, turned over a new leaf, and are willing to build a winner around whatever quarterback they take it to. But it wouldn't surprise me. You know, like I said, it's all about where you land. So I think, obviously, on draft weekend, every player wants to go as high as possible – financially obviously that's helpful as well but at the end of the day especially a quarterback it's so important to go to a team that you know is going to build around you and your skill set and make you successful so you know going two or five or ten matters a lot less down the road if you end up in the right place that allows you to live up to your full potential i don't know if you saw this piece in sports illustrated on trevor lawrence but he seems to go out of his way to say and this is a quote there's also more to life it's also more in life than playing football. Uh, any concern there? No, not at all. And, and I wrote about that for DraftWire not long after those comments came out because I think it's something that needs to be said more often. I, I think it's a refreshing perspective from someone who was crowned a long time ago for this pick, right? I mean, we, you know, as soon as he hit the field at Clemson, we were like, oh, this guy's special. And then he dominates Alabama in the national championship as a freshman, and we're like, man, we got to wait three years to draft this kid. And he lived up to it all along the way. He made it. He's going to go wire to wire as that number one overall pick. So to hear a kid like that admit that he cannot pretend that he has had it hard, right? He, he can't pretend he's Tom Brady where everybody's doubted him and everybody's, you know, said he couldn't do it. Everybody has said he could do it. Everybody has said he could do everything. So when he says things like, I don't have that chip on my shoulder and I can't fake it, I can't manufacture that, I like hearing that from a player who's not going to BS you and blow smoke. So, you know, the fact that he has a great perspective in terms of how important football is to him and how internal motivation is important, but understanding that at some point, you know, the, the switch has to flip off, and you have to go be a human being, and you have to realize that football is a game, it's a job, and yes, you want to go out and be the best you, you can be at it. But I think we need to see this more from players. We need to, and, and fans and, and the media, we need to react positively to that because I think that contributes heavily to some of the struggles these players have after they leave the game because their identity has been so wrapped up in what they do on the field that it's really hard for them to, to, to go to that next thing once they're out of the game. And I think there's just so many layers to that. And I think the more we see big-name players like Trevor Lawrence continue to talk about that and be honest and, and you know, very forthcoming about the, the, the realities of, of off-field life and, and maintaining that work-life balance, I think that's important. We're joined right now by Luke Easterling, editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today. Sports media group talking NFL draft. So assuming that five of the top nine and, you know, maybe the Patriots trade up and it ends up being five of the top seven picks or quarterbacks, history says two or three, maybe four of them uh, will be busts and not worth it. But for all the people, and we have plenty of Utah fans right now who want to hear you say more negative stuff about Zach Wilson, that he's not going to make it. There's pl- there's a, the rivalry is alive and healthy here. But I think that... The thing we've seen with the draft now is if you want a quarterback who's got a decent chance of being a starter, you got to go all in on a top 10 pick. You got to pass on whatever generational talent there is available at other positions because the draft, everybody who's got a shot is going early. You can't wait until the middle or end of the first round or later anymore. I mean, like the last four or five drafts, there hasn't. And been a third or fourth round guy who's made it. So should we criticize these teams too much for reaching these for these guys? Because it doesn't seem to be another path. Yeah, I think you know you you do have the the rare outliers. You have guys like Dak Prescott who was a fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. You have a guy like Lamar Jackson who should have obviously been a much higher pick than number thirty two. But again, it goes back to what I said before. It, it comes down to teams being willing to do what's necessary around those quarterbacks to make them successful. And and to your point about passing on generational talents at other positions. Look at a team like, you know, the, the Lions, who took Calvin Johnson at number two, and nobody would doubt that Calvin Johnson lived up to that, right? He was everything we thought he would be. He's a Hall of Famer. But it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, and, and Matt Stafford wasn't even really a bad quarterback, but it's, it's, you know, look at a team like Cleveland taking Miles Garrett, who has lived up to everything that you expected Miles Garrett to be, but it's because Baker Mayfield has been 
successful as a quarterback that that team is now in the playoffs and the fact that they've built around him as well. So you can take, you know, the Browns, <laughs> Joe Thomas was one of the best left tackles we've ever seen, and he never played a playoff game. <laughs> so, you know, you can hit on that incredible talent at even another premium position, whether it's a pass rusher or an offensive tackle, and that guy can be a Hall of Fame player, and it won't matter if you don't have the quarterback. So, while, like you said, the, the history says that half, half or more of these guys are going to be, be busts at the top of the draft, it, you still got to have one. So you got to just take a swing and hope you're one of the one or two that hits on the right guy. In addition, it's to quarterbacks' profiles rising, which is obvious. It seems like corners and receivers, and maybe I'm off on this, but it just seems to me that their profiles have risen, and it's important to have those corners and receivers. And I look at this draft, at least in the first round anyway, and that's what we'll focus on for the first day, obviously. It seems like we could have four or five uh, of those position players going early. Who do you like there? Yeah, and I think, again, when you talk about position value, it all relates to the quarterback, though. You've got to protect the quarterback if you have one. You've got to get after the other guy's quarterback, and you've got to make his life easy with pass catchers, and you've got to make his life hard with guys covering those guys. So it all comes back to making life easy or hard for your quarterback and the other, the other quarterback. So this year's class is a, is a really good one for both of those positions in terms of corner and wide receiver. Obviously, at the top of the draft, you've got LSU's Jamar Chase, the, the Alabama pair, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, I think all three of those guys are, are kind of in a tier of their own. There's some intriguing kind of undersized but explosive playmakers that, that all could challenge to go in the first round and I think would be good values outside of the first round. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, Rondale Moore from Purdue, Kadarius Toney from, uh, from Florida. If you like a bigger, more physical guy, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota uh, is going to be worthy of a first-round pick, in my opinion. I think he'd be a great fit for Baltimore. Uh, we mentioned Lamar Jackson and building around him. He'd be exactly what that offense needs. Um, and then at corner, you've got kind of a, a, a two-headed monster at the top. You've got Patrick Sertain Jr., uh, which just still makes me feel really old to say. Him and Asante Samuel Jr. in the same draft just makes the gray hair just multiply by the minute. Um, but And J.C. Horn is the other one, who's Joe Horn's son. So I, I can't win either way with this corner class. Um, but, yeah, both of those guys, I think, could be – the first defender off the board. It's going to be a really rare draft in which we could get all the way to pick 10 before we see a defensive player taken off the board. So I think the Cowboys at 10 would love that scenario. They have to take defense, I think, at that pick and to be able to take their pick of all the defensive players in this draft. And I think it would be a corner certain uh, or horn would make a lot of sense there. But, yeah, it's a good year to need a top corner or a top wide receiver at the top of the draft. So I'm all in on Pitts, and that makes PK laugh, but part of the magic of the show is PK laughing at me, so in a weird way it works. Uh, am, I, am I too far in on this guy? Is he a slam dunk? Is there uh, something that could uh, get him untracked and mess it up? Is he the guy? I mean, obviously I think part of that does come down to how you use that guy, but if you can't maximize that potential, you should probably not have a job in the NFL. Um, he's the best non-quarterback in this draft. He is number two overall on my board uh, in terms of just grading and ranking the players individually in a vacuum. So it's Trevor Lawrence and then it's Kyle Pitts. Um, and honestly, his athletic profile, no matter what position you call him, is basically, I mean, the closest we've really been able to find is Calvin Johnson. I mentioned him earlier, and, and I, I hate to make comparisons with Hall of Famers to rookies because it's just not fair, but athletically, he compares very favorably to Megatron. So when you talk about adding that guy to your offense, you can call him a tight end, you can call him a wide receiver, I call him a unicorn, you can call him whatever you want. That guy with that skill set is going to be able to dominate at the next level. He's big, he's athletic, his arms are ridiculously long, he's got the largest wingspan in this draft. Those are all things that quarterbacks are going to love, no matter where he lands. I think he's going to be a difference maker, he can make plays at all levels of the field, obviously he's going to dominate in the red zone. He's he's the kind of guy who's not covered even when he's covered. And, and when you're always open like that, you can win those contested catches. Quarterbacks are going to fall in love with you. I think he is the real deal. I think he's worth a top five pick. If he falls anywhere lower than that, it's going to be a one we remember for a long time. Harrison, ETN, the only possibilities for running backs going in the first round? you like somebody else? 
No, not at all. And I think, honestly, Javante Williams from North Carolina, I'd put money on him going in the first round instead of uh, Travis H.N. from Clemson, for sure. I think that that's definitely the top tier, those three. But if I had to if I had to put money on it, I obviously I think Harris would be the first off the board. Uh, but I think Javante Williams from North Carolina has a better chance of cracking the first round than H.N. at this point. So under your theory, which I think makes a lot of sense, that what makes a quarterback's life better and makes quarterbacks more productive, why don't running backs get more play? I mean, isn't Ezekiel Elliott making Dak, when he's healthy, obviously, uh, Dak Prescott, and apparently he's going to be back to health this year, doesn't he make Dak Prescott's life a lot easier and make him a better quarterback, the threat of that run game? Absolutely, and, and this is the part of that running back conversation that's, that's more complex than people want it to be, I think. I think people want to either say, well, you have to take a quarterback, uh, a running back this high to make it make sense or make a difference, or you can wait until the fourth round because, you know, look at these examples. We always want to use the outliers. We always want to use the exception to, influ- you know, to, to justify the rule, and that's not how that works. When it comes down to it, no matter what position, you take really good football players and you'll be okay. And that's when, when I think about a guy like Najee Harris, you know, people will say, oh, you know, it's too early to take a running back at 24 if you're Pittsburgh or even if you're 18 at Miami. Not when it's a really special player or a really good player. You're 6'2", 235, and can do what Najee Harris can do physically and, and he's a three-down back and can make plays in the passing game, the running game. I don't care what position that guy plays. He's a, he's a very special player, and I want him on my team. So, you know, just because the Jaguars found James Robinson last year the way they did doesn't mean everyone can do that or doesn't mean that, you know, every running back in the fourth round has a better chance of, of being a better value for you than taking a guy like Ezekiel Elliott at four. If you determine that this guy can be a special player for your offense and, and be such a difference maker and, again, take so much pressure off your quarterback, Obviously, you have to have the offensive line to allow that guy to work, but I just don't buy into this. You know, you can just find a court, you can find a running back later. You can find one later. Yeah, every now and then somebody does, but that doesn't mean you should pass up the best ones in the draft if that's something you need because you think you can be the one to find the one or two guys in the later rounds that will end up being productive. That's not how it works. Well, Luke, we appreciate the time and the insight. We'll be fascinated to see how it works out, and all eyes are on Zach Wilson here. Uh, We appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Enjoy the draft. Luke Easterling, you can read him. Uh, He's the editor of the Draft Wire and the Bucks Wire for USA Today Sports Media Group. All right, when we come back, Tim Lacombe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up. What? His low lies, his low lights would wonder if he's even drafted? Yeah, I know. That was harsh, huh? He's a Ute. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's number one in the hearts of many Ute fans. I'll give you that. I don't know if he's They're going to root against Zach Wilson? Oh, yeah, some Utes will, absolutely. I mean, I don't believe everybody They're will. They're sick. But, but some... No, I thought BYU doesn't matter anymore. Get them off the schedule. That... Who are they? Okay, you can say that, and I understand who you're taunting, but you know that I 100% don't believe that. 100% I don't believe that. They don't matter anymore. Why would you care what, Lu- uh, I was going to say Luke Wilson, because the actor, but uh, Zach <laughs> Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Why would you care what Zach Wilson would do? They don't matter anymore. Uh, yeah, that's just something they throw out there. They do matter. They matter I, a lot. I the can only library. go by what people say. <laughs> I watch the news every night. I flick back between uh, Don Lemon and Laura Ingram. I only know what they say, and they tell me the truth. Both sides give it to me unbiasedly, so I only know what's out there. I only know what people say, and I heard people say BYU doesn't matter anymore. So why in the world would you root against Luke or Zach Wilson? Because BYU still matters. But I'm going to be rooting for Lisa Wilson. It's going to be her big night tomorrow. There it is. do it. Yeah, let us know. Uh, keep us updated on her Instagram page and what she's got to say. Oh, she's going to be there. She she went and got to she went to the spray tan place to get ready for this. Okay, that's the kind of stuff we need to know. <laughs> I 
love that gallon. I've never met her. The, base, the, base, the basement's almost done, too. They've been The basement, that. yeah, yeah. But I'm confused because why are they doing the basement if they're or, going to be back in Cleveland? Originally, apparently, they're supposed to be doing their thing here in Salt Lake, then decided to go to the draft. So. Well, that's a smart thing for them because they're going to be the first ones. Gonna he's going to be the first because Will, uh, Lawrence is staying home. He's going to Clemson somewhere. There, yeah. Oh, he's doing it from the college? He's going to be at Clemson. Okay, yeah. So the he's not going to be there, obviously. So the then. first guy to cross the stage, yeah. one Zach Wilson. How about that? Our guy, Zach Wilson, man. I hope he lights it up. Corner Canyon Zone. I wonder if Lynn drove, drove him on the bus. Shout out to Lynn. No, in order to get him, they gave him a chauffeur. As part of the oh, deal. so Lynn drove the whole team, but... They chauffeured Zach. Don't forget, Zach started, I think, as a freshman or began as a freshman at Jordan, so he had to make the move. DJ and PK coming up next. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst. Stay with us. This this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hans. Is that right? <laughs> No. <laughs> pants. You'd like me to call you pants. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God, stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you handsome. Is that right? Well, it's better than Hans, yeah. Catch Hans and Scotty every day presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you apart by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now, and you can save thousands on a new roof. Call Pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former assistant at BYU. is on Rick Majerus' staff up at the U as well. Look at you, Tim, a man of the people, something for everybody. A Ute, a Cougar, and now a jazz employee. You're doing it all, Tim. Well, you've got... You've got to, um, you know, one of my, one of my young mentors in life was a, a, a up and coming writer by the name of Patrick Kinahan. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff, but one of his favorite quotes is you got to, you has got to. That's your cue, PK. Oh, me? Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I must. I got to. I did, and I will, and I will continue to <laughs> got to. Uh, no doubt I'm about it. it on a tee for him. <laughs> oh, it's good. You know, we just heard Mike Conley talk about uh, he still feels that the Jazz are confident. And I try not to get caught up and go too crazy over any win or loss, uh, particularly in the regular season. Playoff can be a different story, obviously. Uh, so as I look back and – Try to step back a little bit. I believe what Mike is saying because he's a tried and true veteran, so I don't think he needs to go and have any outrageous statements for the sake of making them and trying to convince people, no, they really are confident and so forth. So the point being, I believe what he's saying is true, and I believe they have maintained a level of confidence even though they have a two-game losing streak to Minnesota. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there there is no reason, you know, to – to panic, I think, um, you know, you take any contender and you take an all-star off of, you know, that contender for a spell, there's bound to be a couple bumps and rocky rocky times. And, um, you know, really, I think what the Jazz ran into with, with Minnesota was a, a team that, um, you know, was finally kind of all together, literally has zero to lose, and... Um, I guess at the end of the day, are really one of those proverbial bad matchups, and um, so I think those cu- those things kind of couple together. Most importantly, just the, fa- the fact that the Jazz, for the first time really all year, are, are really starting to kind of enter that injury area. I think one of the reasons they've their number one team in the league right now overall is they 
They've had a ton of continuity, and while they've had guys miss, they've always had plenty of guys uh, and, key, and key guys available. Um, and so they're kind of entering that stretch now where, you know, tonight it's going to be without Donovan and Mike, and, um, you know, you just you got to temper your expectations a little bit with those guys not on the floor. I thought in the third quarter specifically of the Monday night game in Minnesota – that I saw the Jazz confidence at a season low. I thought there were multiple guys passing up multiple shots, and I thought for a stretch there, while Joe was on the bench, that Clarkson was the only guy who really wanted to shoot the ball. Now, everybody's going to have a low point at some point. Um, Did you see any of that, and what does it take to bounce back from that? And maybe they did in the fourth quarter because Niang hit a few shots, and they played differently. Um, so I think there's a couple things there to unpack. I think number one, <clears throat> when a, when a player like like Donovan's out, you know, for the most part, uh, everybody's role changes. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. is bumped up a, a a bit, and you know they're they're in a little bit of uncharted territory, particularly when you speak of late in the game. When you know, usually it's it's pretty clear how they're going to win games. Uh, they're going to really battle, and then. Uh, toward the end, you know, Donovan's been kind of the closer, the guy in the fourth quarter who can kind of put it away. Um, and so I think there's a couple things. I think, number one, they really miss, you know, his ability to get his own shot and, most importantly, kind of stop runs getting to the line. Uh, Donovan's done a much better job, and I will say the NBA officials have done, done a much better job of rewarding Donovan for for being aggressive and getting to the you know, getting to the rim and getting to the line. And that stops runs. And so, yeah, when, when you're in the guts of the game and you're typically used to other people doing it, and, you know, I would imagine there's a little bit of hesitation with some of those guys who are like, wait a second, is this what I should really be doing right now? And um, the bottom line and the answer to that is yes, because the way the Jazz play is, is very system-driven and uh, is really keyed on ball movement. When the ball moves and you've got an opportunity to shoot it, you better shoot it because uh, you don't shoot it, you pass it up. You end up turning it over uh, or getting, you know, a shot that maybe not as a desirable. So, uh, and I think there's a couple things to that. Um, again, I think this all stems from, you know, missing important pieces and everybody trying to uh, figure that out on the fly. So right now, I do not know if they're going to get the number one seed. I have my doubts. Uh, a week or so ago, I didn't. Maybe in a week or so from now, that'll change. But if they don't get the number one seed, is that a big deal? Um, you know, I think we've made it a big deal because it's, you know, it's what you, <clears throat> it is really the, I guess from the regular season, it's the great prize. Um, you know, there's one for each league. There's one for overall. And I think for, you know, a couple of months here, we've really kind of had our eye on that. But again, in fairness, one of the reasons the Jazz were there um, in that spot was because they were healthy majority of the season. Uh, you watch Anthony Davis miss 30 games. I mean, LeBron's obviously uh, still on the shelf. And um, so, you know, Ben Simmons has been out a little bit for for the 76ers off and on. Um, obviously, Kawhi, Paul George. So you look around the league, and this is what everybody else has been dealing with now that Jazz are dealing with it. So I think you kind of have to temper your expectations, but right now, they're still in the driver's seat. Um, they still have the ability, you know, if they if they can get things kind of righted quickly, there's an opportunity there. But I like you. I'm I'm starting to kind of look at it and look at the challenges they have and um, start to look at okay, what would other matchups look like so that uh, we're prepared in case that happens. So of these teams that are battling for. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The one that scares you the most, and the one the Jazz should embrace the most. Assuming they don't hold on to, well, assuming that they're somewhere there in the top three. I mean, all of this is flexible, six through ten. So, what do you think? Oh, I think um, you know the the team that kind of stands out at you from a you know a recognition standpoint is the Warriors, and obviously. Curry, but I mean, I watched them last night just get absolutely demolished uh, by Dallas. It wasn't even a game ever. And, um, 
and, and you start to watch them and understand that there's a way you can guard that team um, to really kind of make them do things they don't want to do. So they don't necessarily scare me like you think the Warriors would. Um, I think that, you know, uh, excuse me, Lillard, obviously, uh, where they're at. They're seventh right now. Um, and obviously that's a, that's a really tough matchup. Those two guards are incredible. Um, a team that nobody's really talking about, the Jazz are going to see them twice coming up here, uh, and they're playing pretty good basketball, is the Spurs. You know, the Spurs are kind of fighting. They're in that nine position right now, but you know they're well coached. You know they're going to play really hard. Um, but I think if I had to choose – you know, seven to ten, six to ten, somewhere in there. I mean, I'm probably looking. You don't really want to see, in my mind, you really don't want to see. If you can choose, you don't want to see the Blazers, and you don't want them to fall into that. That would be a that would be tough. I think for the first time the other night we saw Gobert and Ilyasova, and I sort of liked it. Ilyasova got some foul trouble, but I liked what I saw. You think they go to that a little bit more? Well, I made that comment when when he kind of had his first breakout game, uh, you know, when he got an opportunity to play. And, I, I, you know, I just said – I told Jake, just kind of bookmark that for, for later on for playoffs. I think what it what they ended up doing the other night was they played um, – you know, Mieoni's minutes went to Ilyasova, so they played Ilyasova and, and Yang together, kind of a, a, a fairly big lineup with – Niango Bear and um, and Ilyasova. I think that it's uh, I think something to look at. I think it's a guy who can really shoot it. I think he's somebody who has now shown, particularly um, being pretty valuable as a stretch guy. And you know he's made enough plays on the glass and around the rim. I don't think he's he's absolutely he's not going to be Gobert, obviously, or uh, or anything near that. But he's he's got some ability to to you know he had an awesome block in the Laker game against Kuzma. Um, and so I just think, again, you're, you're constantly looking for, uh, little advantages or, you know, particularly when you hone in on a team, you know, what rotation could we possibly put Ilyasova in that would really cause them some issues spacing wise defensively, you know, where we could maybe get some, uh, some advantage. And I think that that's the chess match that becomes the playoffs. And it really is all driven by the team you play in the matchups. Tim Lacombe joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, you hear him on the Jazz pre-half and post. Uh, I'm curious with Jordan Clarkson. PK and I have both been looking at his month-by-month no- numbers, and they have been trending south. Now, they have bounced back a little bit here in the last month, uh, but they're not what they were early in the year. And it seems like there's a couple explanations. One, how he's used within the Jazz system is getting scouted and teams are catching up to it a little bit. Or two... He's physically getting worn down. He's a slight guy playing big minutes. He's on the ball a lot. He's clearly spending a lot of energy out there and is just catching up to him a little bit. If that's the problem, will the week off before the playoffs solve it, or does he need more time off, or it just is what it is, or I'm off base into something else? What do you think? No, I think it's actually – I think that's a pretty good assumption on both things. I think it's a combination of two things. I think obviously fatigue and – um, you know, just wear and tear is kind of starting to catch up. And, you know, like like you said there, he, he's a guy who, in his time, his usage is, is pretty high, um, and it requires a lot of effort. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of dribbles involved uh, with Clarkson's game, and, um, you know, particularly when he drives it and uh, is kind of able to get to that little jump hook that he has down in the lane. Um, but th- there is a lot of wear and tear there, and and then I also believe that teams really do understand, you know, what he's going to do nightly, um, and the book on him is anytime, anywhere, and you you always have to contest and be really physical with him. Um, I think the third thing I would add is, as I think, as he's spiraled a little bit, as the numbers have dropped, I've sensed that some frustration, and I sense that he's he's pressing a little bit. Um, I don't sense that that's something that he he struggles with for long periods of time, but I think he's in a little bit of a a mental kind of press right now. 
Um, and my experience has always been you just need a game where you can break out of that, where you see, you know, almost effortless time, you know, with ball going in the basket. And that's what we've seen from Clarkson. That's what we love about Clarkson is his ability to get quick buckets. And so, uh, like everybody, there's times in season where you've really got it going and there's times where you got to search for it. Uh, I feel like he's been searching for it for a bit, um, for extended period of time here, uh, which is only encouraging to me because I've seen when it clicks. Um, and I would sure like the timing to come when playoffs hit and Jordan Clarkson starts to click again because that's a really good combo for the Jazz. Are the Lakers going to have enough time to get together? I mean, they've obviously got a lot of talent and they're defending champs, but how many games do they need to really click in? Or are they going to be vulnerable in the first round right out of the gate just because they're not all on the same page yet? Well, I, I mean, that's it's crazy because I remember, honestly, a year ago right now, uh, well, I guess it wasn't right now, but I guess in terms of the year, right? Right before the playoffs started in the bubble, I really did kind of make a, a fairly sweeping judgment and said, I don't think the Lakers have what it takes to win it. I mean, they're completely out of sorts, guys resting, guys hurt. Um, and, and to me, like, you have to be able to get in a rhythm. That's just that's just what you've heard from the time you were, you know, first around the game. There, there's, a, there's a period of time where you really do need to um, kind of get together, get on the same page, and hit the ground running. Uh, does that apply with AD and LeBron? Uh, well, we saw AD come out, you know, come back from injury, and he has not been stellar. Um, he's still AD, he's still a great player, freakishly long, has great ability, but everybody being on the same page. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to jinx it, but they, do, they don't look great to me right now. But I'm telling you the difference when LeBron is A, on, on the floor, and then engaged like he is in the playoffs. I mean, you're talking about a totally different thing. So I'm going to reserve judgment uh, at least till the playoffs start and kind of see what they've got. Um, I really like Schroeder. I think he's a nice addition. I think he actually is kind of an upgrade from what Rondo was able to bring him last year. Um, I like, uh, you know, I like some of the pieces they have, but to your point, so much of, of their ability is going to depend on their, their, you know, their rhythm and how they kind of jive together once they get out of this, uh, I guess, this period where they've all kind of been hit and miss. We appreciate the time as always, Tim. you got a few hours to clear your mind and then right back at it. 7 o'clock. Yeah, I love these late games. In fact, I, I think that's why Hatch started with uh, the Party Hounds rendition of Living After Midnight <laughs> because I've been doing a lot of Living After Midnight um, with these 8 o'clock games, so... Thank you, the NBA, for that. It's been it's been really fun. Tim, we will talk to you again uh, in a week or so. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. See you, boys. Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz radio studio analyst. Wait till he gets to the uh, playoffs when it's uh, quarter to nine. <laughs> You're right. Spot on advice, PK. It's an 8.30 game. There's no chance that's tipping at 8.30. They're going to hold that for 10, if not 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, uh, coming up, we got more on the Jazz. And also, PK, we got college football news that I think will uh, interest uh, local fans. Uh, it's uh, There's still a bunch of maybes out there, but, man, there's uh, it, it sounds like change is coming. We will get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show Big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Mark Eaton is with us overall this year. Mark, how have you felt about this Jazz team and the way Coach Snyder has them playing? It's been fun to watch. What a run it's been. We've hit a little bit of a challenger with injuries, et cetera, the last week or two. But in general, they've really come together as a team. I think that the trust level and, and the rapport between the teammates out on the floor, it's been fun to just see them kind of come together. And I think they'll get through this rough spot. I'm actually kind of glad they're having this rough spot now rather than 10 games from now because it gives them a chance to kind of go through that low, which every team does and kind of rebuild and regroup and build some momentum going into the playoffs. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When I get the carpets clean, tile clean, it's never clean. It's Zero Res clean. 
$33 per room clean. Carpenter tile, April only. You deserve the best. You deserve zero res. Schedule with zero res today. Call them at 801 288 Schedule online by searching for zero res carpet cleaning. So PK, the Athletic has a whole series of stories getting posted this morning. They've been going up during our show here about the college football playoff. And the headline is 12-team college football playoff expansion, quote, building support. And there are multiple writers in on this, uh, the people you would expect. Um, Nicole Auerbach got a thing about it. Andy Staples, they're examining every which way from zero because football is king and we're in the football offseason. Uh, but Andy Staples said that, an, an, and I think this kind of resonates because this is how you have learned about a lot of stuff over time. Somebody who he considers a pretty good source, a college AD, he doesn't identify who, obviously, tells him, uh, you know, we're looking at 12th team. And uh, Andy says in one of these stories, I, I kind of dismissed it. And two weeks later, it got floated to me by more people, and I realized that person's been right before, and I should have listened to them a little more closely. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but that's kind of the gist of it. And the reason they're looking at a 12 team is because the the semifinals have been blowouts, and they're worried that um, because four schools have taken almost three-quarters of the playoff berths, you know, we joke about, well, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and probably Oklahoma, and there's your field. And that really is what it's been. They feel like they need to include it or it's going to become a regional sport. They can see, in the, they can see interest waning um, both in, in tickets and in TV ratings across the country. But also the semifinals have been blowouts. And the top players are going to the top schools because that's where they need to be to get into the playoff. So they think that by expanding it, they're going to spread some of the top players out and also build in, hey, if you're in, you want to be in the top four to get a bye, but if you can't get there, you're going to be really interested in being five through eight to get a home game. And if you're battling to get into nine to 12, you want to be in, so there'll be something at stake for everybody. So you hear all this and you think what? Well, I look at things from the Pac-12 perspective. I don't think it helps the Pac-12 because then it's going to be, well, how many teams did you get in? And the Pac-12 is not going to get that many teams in. Because I don't, I don't know the format, but I'm assuming the five power fives get automatic bid. Yeah. And then they go and obviously figure out who the other seven are. And so what you're going to do is you're just moving the bag back a foot at first base because you're just going to get more SEC teams and more Big Ten teams and more Big 12 teams. That's all you're going to get. So the issue of it's still being regionalized, it's going to be even greater, not less. Because now you're going to have more people from the southeast of the country that are going to be way into it. Because they're going to get three or four, unless they cap how many teams can get in. I don't know the parameters and particulars there. Yeah, I don't think they but, do either at this point. Right. So I just see, well, all right, Pac-12, we'll give you your one. And then if they go out in the first round, then the Nicole Arbucks and Andy Staples and blah, blah, blah are just going to pound on them even more. <laughs> and so we, we threw you a bone and you couldn't do anything with it. Meanwhile, we got four teams over here. And look, at we got to the, you know, the equivalent of the Elite Eight and Final Four. I'm using the basketball terms. So I, I don't see where it helps the Pac-12. It gets them in, but... I think it's going to be compared. Well, you only got one in. So from the Pac-12 perspective, the six or eight would probably be better. But of the 12, all you're doing is just putting in more SEC teams, I think. And if the ACC should ever get it going, and they've got potential to get it going outside of Clemson. Obviously, obviously Clemson has dominated. I don't, I don't really see where that's a difference. And so you're going to look at uh, Clemson and Alabama – and both of those teams have quarterbacks from the Pac-12 area. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ohio State has one. And we saw Oklahoma has one. Now, both of those guys got Phoenix guys. And uh, they're not – you're going to get in, but you're going to get beat in the first round. So I don't think the idea is to get in. I think kids want – they want playing time above all, right, because uh, that's, that's the number one thing. So they got playing time. And these high-level kids are going to get playing time no matter where they go. That's just the way it is. And then they want it to be a really, really big deal. It really matters. And so the Southeast, where they start tailgating on Wednesdays, 
is is massive, and we just don't have that on our side of the country. And then they want the opportunity to win at the highest level. Well, just getting in is not the opportunity to win at the highest level. And then they want to play in the NFL. And all that screams is the Southeast. Unless the Pac-12 is willing to dump hundreds of millions of dollars into its football programs, which they're not. It's never going to solve the problem from the Pac-12 perspective. So the things that you just listed, I don't see where it makes much difference. I just did see uh, stats on what head coaching salaries are by conference in the Power Five and what the assistant pools are by conference throughout the Power Five. And the Pac-12 is paying uh, 50 to 70% of what the SEC is paying. Um, and 70 is probably pretty generous, maybe 50 to 60 or 65 percent. You know, and those are all averages. And there's, you know, and Alabama and Vanderbilt aren't paying the same thing. I get that. And neither Oregon State and USC. Uh, but just for a ballpark on how the Pac-12 is doing. And it was part of a story that said it was about the Pac-12 commissioner search and that it's gone on for a while and it's pretty quiet. And, you know, what are they going for here? Um, and it, one of the quotes in there was, until Pac-12 presidents think football is more important, it's the status quo. That it's not really about the playoff format. It's about the Pac-12 presidents. Because an athletic department budget, as enormous as they look, as we get more of them crossing the, the 80, 100, and $120 million numbers, as enormous as they look, they are still just a microscopic fraction of what is being spent on these campuses. If they wanted to crank it up, they could. And so the question is, do they want to? Well, why would they want to? What pressure are they receiving to do that? That's probably, that's probably an answer campus by campus because the pressure at uh, USC, the pressure at Oregon is different than what you're getting at other Washington State or Arizona or, or Utah. But that's, that's within the own conference. It's not you're, – you're, I don't compare it to within the own conference. Right. I compare it to what they do at Ohio State, what they do at Oklahoma, what they do at Alabama, what they do at LSU. Yeah, it's not not what Arizona does compared to SC that's going to matter. It's what SC does compared to those other teams that I just listened, listed in those programs. So it's so easy to dump on the college presidents and they don't know their you know what from their you know what. I get, I saw the tweet that I think who what Mandel had it and then Wilner's going to pick up on it. And these guys pretty much anytime they speak, they're blasting the conference. And that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But what fan base is demanding that we have the same athletic budget or football budget as Ohio State? Nobody. They want to win at that high level. It's like BYU. They talk about it all the time. They want to win at the highest level. You don't want to pay at the highest level, but you want to win at the highest level. Well, I want to have the body of Mr. America. But I don't go to the gym and diet to that degree. But I want it. Yeah, I want it. Now, I do go to the gym. People there, they see me and they say hi to me. But do I make the 24-7 commitment? To get the body like that? Sure, I want it. And I put, I go to the gym pretty much six, seven days a week. And I put in my time. And I'm older now. And so, you know, I'm okay. But I don't ha- I could be a lot better. But I'm not going to put in the time. It's the same thing with BYU. They're not going to put in the money. It's the same thing with all these schools out here. They're not going to put in the money. No, they're not going to do that. So you're going to get what you pay for more often than not. Are you going to do the supplements and, if necessary, the roids, PK, if you want to be Mr. America? Well, I'm certainly not going to do roids, but I'm not going to do all that stuff. I haven't made a 100% commitment. I put in the time at the gym. I do what I do. Basically, I don't want a gut. There it is. And as long as I don't have a big gut, where's my burrito? <laughs> Which is funny because I was hanging out with Schwarzenegger and he said the same thing right before he made another movie. It was Schwarzenegger and Stallone. I was the only one with a burrito. <laughs> and, and tonight, Wednesdays, we go to Lone Star over there on uh, what's that? Not Creek Road, 72nd South. Mm-hmm. And I get their shrimp burrito every Wednesday. And so Wednesdays, I just try to eat a granola bar and then not eat again until I get that. And I count down. Till my wife comes home and she stops by Lone Star. So that's good enough for me. 
You get the, I, I'm pretty sure you get the point. In fact, I know you get the point. I do get the but point. You, and but, the question the, is, how all in the Do our listeners Pac-12? get the point? Yeah. Do our listeners get the and point? And I think the other thing is that the Pac-12's rep rides with – every conference's rep rides with what – the top one, two, or three teams do. You know, it definitely helps the SEC, even if Alabama's one, if Team 3 looks really good and Team 2 looks really good, and they really push Bama. And they got 10 wins in their own right. And if Georgia and LSU and Florida can do that, right, well, and those are the five. I mean, it's a 14-team league. It's not the other nine. Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, nah, nah. So what? They're W's. It's out of those top five programs, can three of them have good years? Because the others change coaches. The others have flailed about at times, you know. But there got to be two of those other four have to push Bama. And does the Pac-12 have that? And the answer is obviously, no, they don't. No. So, And Oklahoma doesn't really have that many teams to push it in the Big 12, which is why the Big 12 occasionally gets shut out. If Oklahoma stumbles, then the Big 12 gets passed over. And yes. that's happened. So... All right, well, that seems to be where the discussion is right now. There's still a lot of time for this to move around. But that 12 team seems to be what they're looking at, and they recognize that the bowl games are just losing steam by the year. And players are opting out, and they're going to continue to. And this, this will just hurry that process along even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, they're willing to, to pay that price to create something because uh, I think inside these conferences, because this isn't – I mean, we're looking at it from Pac-12's point of view, but they're not. But I think that the Iowa states of the world are looking at like, we can't beat Oklahoma once. We have to beat Oklahoma twice because if we split, they're going to take Oklahoma. You know, so I think there's frustration in some of these other conferences with the way things are going. And even if you're not Iowa State, you know, if you're Baylor or, or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State, you're thinking, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Iowa State, because when it's our turn to have a big year, we're going to be up against what you were up against last year. You know, we're going to have to beat them twice. So I think there's a, a push for more teams. And, and, you know, 8, 10, 12, you know, who knows where this is going. I think they're definitely expanding. I think they're definitely going to go on campus. I think those are two things that we can count on. What it looks like beyond that, who knows. All right, and it, and it could change a couple times before it actually happens because we're locked into this system for another five years or so, the current one. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The question of the day, are the Jazz bouncing back? Are they getting a W in Sacramento? Without Mitchell, without Conley, a lot of you are tweeting at us. Hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK, on Twitter at David DJ James, and grab your phone, use the app, use the open mic feature, and send us your takes, and we'll get them on the air. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.